all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy August to you. I hope and pray that as you're settling back into whatever back to school is going to look like for you and your family, that you're able to find at least some sense of normalcy and stability, even if your schedule still feels like fluid. I pray that you're not only able to stay afloat, but that the reason you're staying afloat is that you're literally holding on to the lifeline, who is Jesus. These are challenging days for all of us as we're sitting in the unknown, but we do have the same lifeline, and He is who is even bringing us together today. I love it. As you know, I homeschool our two girls. Noah already graduated, but we've got Eliana, who is going to be a senior this year. I can't really even deal with that right now. And then our Annie Rose is going to be an eighth grader, which I put that in the same exact category of not being able to deal with it. But anyway, August is always a big month of transitioning our schedule here at the house because we all five still live here and work here and school here. So it's just going to be a little bit of a shift with changing even our spaces at home that we lounge in over the summer into spaces that we can work in together, not to mention just getting in a groove with new curriculum, new rhythms. So for that reason, this month and probably the next month, maybe you're going to feel a little bit of a shift in the podcast even as I'm making them a little bit more concise and to the point. But I hope that helps you even in your world as well with having a little bit more of a palatable size podcast right now as we're all buckling down a little bit for the fall. But before we get started in our portion of Psalm 119 today, I do want to share with you a couple of things on my radar that I just want you to know about. The first one is the If Lead Conference coming up on August 15th. I know that's like right around the corner. For some of you, it's just a few days away if you're listening to this when it lands on iTunes, but it's a conference that IF puts together. This is Jenny Allen, IF Gathering, but it's for leaders in all spheres, and it's going to be 100% virtual this year. If you're wondering if this is for you, I will say this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you feel the call on your life to mother or mentor or disciple others, either one-on-one or in a group, this conference is for you. And if you feel called to lead in any way, shape, or form, big or small, you're welcome. So be encouraged to attend this. It's going to be sweet. And I'm actually so honored that this year I'm getting to teach a breakout session. It's going to be over the topic of living and working from rest. And there's going to be loads of other wonderful breakouts as well that you'll get access to, as well as the keynote speakers. But for those of you who are listening to this before the conference, they will have registration up until the actual day of the event, August 15th. And again, it's all virtual. And if you're listening to this after August 15th, it's also not too late to be able to view the content. So just go to iflead2020.com for all tickets and information on that. Don't miss it. It's going to be incredible, and there's not a better time that we all need to come together and to be refreshed and to just kind of come together what it looks like to lead in each of our spheres of influence, whatever that looks like for you, big or small. So I'm encouraging you to be a part of that. And especially as we are getting back to school, or at least some sort of routine, I wanted to recommend a couple of books that I've read just in the past couple of months. The first one is, you've probably read it, already heard of it, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I actually listened to this book on a really long drive a few weeks ago, and it was over before I even knew it. (laughs) And as I was listening to it, I was so amazed once again by the Holy Spirit. 
and how he seems to be causing this message of rest to surface in the hearts of his people for such a time as this. In fact, if you read my book later on this fall, when it comes out in November and you read this book, you might be surprised that I didn't even know about this book until after mine was already written. (laughs) It's not that the writing or the stories are even that similar. It's just that this message of rest that is so counterculture, unfortunately even counter church culture in some places, and as John Mark points out, will even feel counterproductive at first glance for a, a lot of us. But it just seems to be the message that God is sending His people right now, even stripping away from us just about everything that can be stripped away so that we might get back to the center of His heart again. I've said this before, but this rest that I'm talking about, it's not a rest that looks like us laying at home on our hammocks, just reading our Bible all day and blocking the world out. That's actually what Sabbath is for, and hopefully you've and implemented a day like that in your week. But we all know that for the rest of the week, there is work to be done. But the true test of rest is, what are we working from? What does our work life fountain up or well up from, both in terms of the kind of work that puts the food on the table and the spiritual work that God has called each of us to in our own individual spheres of influence? As I was saying before, In my book, The Life You Long For, it comes out in November. My publisher would want me to tell you that it's pre-orderable now, everywhere you order books. (laughs) But I talk about the capacity of the beloved, what it looks like basically to operate specifically as a trusting child of God in this life. That's what I think the beloved is, trusting children of God. The word capacity, as you might know, speaks to what something or someone can supply or produce. To function at full capacity is to be firing on all cylinders, per se, to be cranking out what we're supposed to be cranking out well within the time we're expected to. But what if, as the people of God, our fullest capacity really comes from the other definition of this word that speaks more to what something or someone is able to hold, receive, or contain? So think about it. When I wake up and grab my phone and subject myself to the whole wide world and all its trouble and darkness and depravity, my soul, this place that C.S. Lewis calls the hollow that only God can fill, it gets murky and muddy really fast with an overload of feelings and guilt and shame and even empathy, which we need to have. We need to have empathy, but we are experiencing the sheer horror of being able to see everything all at once every day. And we were not made to see everything all at once every day. We weren't made to know what's going on in the whole wide world and then feel the feels that come with knowing everything that's going on in the whole wide world. We are quite possibly empathied out. We've quite possibly started to cave in, which is the danger in this whole thing and why it sends us to just numb out to everything all over again. So you see, it's this vicious cycle. We were created to live from God, from the life He offers, and then go out and experience our family, our real live actual community from a hands-on, heart-healthy, soul-protected posture. Not a self-protected posture, but a God-covered posture that actually does the opposite. It welcomes others in. When God called me to rest, 
I watched him come in and strategically make my world smaller, like so much smaller. But when I look back, it was like he enlarged my world all at the same time. But the difference was this time was that he himself was stewarding it as I was simply surrendering to him in the smallness and the secret of my day. I'm an artist in the full sense of the word, even over being a musician. I'm an artist, and I'm learning about myself that I cannot function in the capacity that God created me to when I allow my soul to be muddied and murky. Again, I'm not talking about being oblivious to what's going on in our world. I'm talking about knowing our threshold of what we can and cannot hold and can and cannot crank out on a daily basis. I'm talking about getting near the heart of God every day and letting Him help us find the pace for our lives individually. This not only values our own souls, but the souls of others that God has brought near us, our family, our friends, our small, actual, nearby community. I say actual community as in not social media community. I guess lately I feel like I've just been bumping up against my own personal threshold of my capacity all over again, and the Lord is just saying, it's okay. I made you that way. I feel like He's reminding me once again that He is my portion in this life, Lamentations 3.24. And the filling up of me is his business. But I have to also be so careful to keep the hollow of my soul as a place of healing and recovery and wholeness so that I can keep receiving what he has for me every day because I don't want to miss it because I know that he made me to represent him to the world. We've talked about that so many times. The other read that I want to share really quick, and you might have seen me post about this on Instagram, but it's John Eldridge's book called Get Your Life Back. I've read several of John's books, and I have to say that this is my favorite because you really hear the counselor heart in John come forth. I felt very pastored and even fathered through it by someone who has lived a little bit more life than me, but also someone who... And this is exactly what his little bio says inside the book, who is devoted to helping people discover the heart of God, recover their own hearts in God's love, and learn to live in God's kingdom. And I'm adding this, from that place in God's heart and His love. I guess this is just refreshing to me, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, but these kind of leaders are few and far between anymore. I think we live in such a celebrity-driven leadership culture that it becomes harder and harder to find those people who truly are concerned about helping people recover their own hearts so that they can even receive from God what He has for us, not only in every season of our lives, but just in the day-to-day mundane of our lives. John spends the first half of the book on basically how to rescue our soul in a world gone mad. He helps us learn how to unplug from the things that are literally killing our souls, which can really be boiled down to what I was saying before and the fact that we are receiving more information on a minute-by-minute basis than we were ever made to, as well as the fact that we've given everyone in the world 24-hour access to our souls and our psyches. So there's that. Anyway, I read that book in about a weekend, and I passed it on to my husband, Nathan, and now he and our 20-year-old son are reading it. I just highly recommend it. That's all I'm saying. Our Hebrew letter this episode is the letter Kaf. The literal meaning of the letter Kaf is palm, as in the palm of the hand. 
And in Jewish tradition, this letter is known as the letter of potential because it represents the hand as it receives. That ties in with the palm of the hand. This is paradoxical, but according to Jewish tradition, kaf also means to suppress. They would say it in this way, in order to receive our fullest potential from God, there are things that we must suppress. Again, to keep the hollowed space of our souls a place of wholeness, we must learn to protect, to screen, filter, guard our minds and our hearts and our very souls. I'm going to read our passage over us now from Psalm 119, verses 81 through 88. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I've become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. And your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. I spent quite a bit of time actually in Spurgeon's book on Psalm 119 called The Golden Alphabet, particularly on this section of this psalm. He calls this part of the chapter the midnight of the psalm. It just gets pretty murky and muddy. That's all I'm saying. Dark and dreary even. And I know you're tired of dark and dreary, and so am I. (laughs) And the psalm does begin to lift from here, but for now, we've got to sit in this darkest hour here with our singer knowing that the darkest hour is just before the dawn. I'm believing that for you and for me and for our world right now. I don't know if you can relate to David like I do here, but my soul longs for the salvation of God, the rescue of God over our world. I'm growing faint and weary even in the waiting, but hope lifts us when the waiting exhausts us. I think verse 82 spoke to me the most in this section of the psalm as our singer belts out, My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? The NIV says, My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? The New Living Translation says, My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? I can't help but think of us walking around town with our masks on. At least here in our county, it's mandatory to enter any kind of store or restaurant with a mask on. But maybe because all we can really see of each other are each other's eyes, I've just noticed the fatigue in the eyes more than usual, the longing in people's eyes. I couldn't help but picture the straining of our eyes above our masks as I read this from Spurgeon as he describes our singer here in verse 82. His eyes gave out from eagerly gazing for the compassionate appearance of the Lord, while his heart in weariness cried out for speedy comfort. To read the word until the eyes can no longer see is only a small thing compared with watching for the fulfillment of the promise until the inner eyes of expectancy begin to grow dim with hope delayed. We cannot set timetables for God, for this would be to limit the Holy One of Israel. However, we can 
earnestly petition and make fervent request as to why the promise is delayed. David did not seek comfort other than that which comes from God. His question is, when will you comfort me? If help doesn't come from heaven, it will never come at all. All the good man's hopes look in that direction, and he doesn't cast a glance any other way. This experience of waiting and growing weak is well known by mature Christians, and it teaches them many precious lessons which they would never learn any other way. Among the best results is that the body rises into sympathy with the soul. Both heart and flesh cry out for the living God, and even the eyes find a tongue saying, When will you comfort me? It must be an intense longing that is not satisfied to express itself by the lips, but speak with the eyes, eyes failing through intense watching. Eyes can speak quite eloquently. They can be both silent and flowing and can sometimes say more than tongues. David says in another place, The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping, Psalm 6, 8. Our eyes are especially eloquent when they begin to fail with weariness and sorrow. A humble eye lifted up to heaven in silent prayer can flash a flame hot enough to melt the bolts that block the entrance of vocal prayer. And so heaven will be taken by storm with the artillery of tears. Blessed are the eyes that are strained in looking after God. The eyes of the Lord will see to it that such eyes do not fail. How much better to watch for the Lord with aching eyes than to have them sparkling at the glitter of empty desires. Next time you see that person with aching eyes, mask or no mask, maybe those aching eyes are your own as you look in the mirror. What if this became your prayer? God, give me eyes that strain after you rather than sparkle after desires that could never truly satisfy. God, give us eyes that strain after you, rather than sparkle after desires that can never truly satisfy. The very next verse is a peculiar one, and it stood out as well. Verse 83, For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. First of all, I had to look up what he would have meant by a wineskin in the smoke. For starters, a wineskin is a container, usually made of animal skin, probably a goat in most cases, but it was used to carry liquids, wine, of course, but also water, milk, olive oil, butter, even cheese. But back in the day when wineskins were not being used, they'd be washed out and hung up in a tent. But this is also where the smoke from the fire, a fire that would have been a daily source for cooking, cleaning, staying warm, the fire would have taken its toll on the wineskins, drying them out, causing them to become wrinkled and worn, even black and sooty. Spurgeon suggests that David would be talking about this in a physical sense, since he had just said that his eyes have become strained and weary. Maybe even his face has actually been so downcast that he's become wrinkled from all the writhing and the worrying. But also, of course, in a spiritual sense, as Spurgeon says, his character had been smoked with slander and his mind parched with persecution. He was half afraid that he would become useless and incapable through so much mental suffering, and that people would look at him like an old worn-out wineskin that could hold nothing and serve no purpose. What a metaphor for a man to use who was certainly a poet, a theologian, and a leader in Israel, if not a king and a man after God's own heart. 
It is little wonder if we common people think very little of ourselves and then are filled with distress of mind. Some of us know the inner meaning of this comparison, for we too have felt dingy, low, and worthless, only suitable to be a castaway. Then he still cries out here, Yet I have not forgotten your word, Lord. It seems that our singer at this point is saying, I'm hoping in your word because at this point, look at me. It's about all I've got. And then the last verse, verse 88, right before he has just declared that his enemies have just about made an end of him on this earth, he bellows this out. In your steadfast love, God, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. We can still cry out, even if it's just with our eyes today, towards the heavens. God, in your steadfast love, give me life. Beloved, what we need more of, more than ever, is life. And God is the author of life. He is life. So it follows that we need Him more than anything. But in order to even receive what He has for us today, in any kind of capacity, we must live in such a way that we protect this hollowed space of our souls for Him. That we protect our ability to be able to still cry out, God, in your steadfast love today, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. What is it that you might need to suppress in order to protect what you're supposed to receive from God today? Listen to some of the definitions of suppress. To put down by authority or force to exclude from consciousness, to restrain from a usual course or action, to inhibit the growth or development of. Now, let's be real for a minute about the kind of things that we should suppress. This would be anything that would be inhibiting us from experiencing more of God in our lives. I'm mainly talking about our phones right when we wake up, our access to social media morning and night, the 24-7 barrage of news, I'll tell you what I tell my kids about the news. You're never going to find the whole truth on the news. I'm talking about methods of escape like alcohol, excessive binge watching of shows that do nothing for your soul. That goes for books as well. I'm not talking about people here in general. If you need to suppress a person in your life, that is a serious matter that you need godly counsel around. If you're in an abusive situation, seek help around that. I'm mainly talking about protecting your heart so that you can receive the life of God. And this is just everyday things that we're doing in the mundane that we don't even realize are soul killing. We've got to protect our ability to cry out for God to give us more of who He is and to be able to receive more of who He is because ultimately He's called us to represent His life to those around us. We must protect our ability to receive and represent God's life, His thoughts, His peace, His love, His mercy, His ways. This is what the psalmist knows through and through. He simply does not stop singing about it, that the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, from the love of God, gives us life, and it is the only thing we've got. And oh, how we need life. Oh, how we need God. 
I'll close with my favorite part of John Eldridge's daily prayer, which I've shared it before, and it's actually in the back of the book that I was telling you about earlier, Get Your Life Back. It's a wonderful prayer to pray each day. This is just part of the prayer, but I love this part. It invites the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us afresh with His life. It simply says, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh today. Restore my union with the Father and the Son. Lead me into all truth. Anoint me for all my life and walk and calling. And lead me deeper into Jesus today. I receive you with thanks, and I give you total claim to my life. Remember today to protect your ability to be able to receive all that God has for you. And what He has for you is His life. I'll talk to you soon.